presence of God transforms lives and heals hearts. Let's learn today truths on how we can access His presence and release heaven into our daily lives. Welcome to Manifest His Presence with your host, Dr. Candace Smithyman. Hello, everybody. It's Pastor Adam again, and uh, beautiful day here the Lord has made, and uh, I have another message for you, and uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer first. Oh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this day, and you have made it, and we're going to rejoice in it. There's things going on in all of our lives, and we thank you that you are there for us to lean on. We ask once again, Father, for your grace and mercy, for your justice, for your forgiveness. And we thank you that you have shown us the way that we're supposed to live. And as we talk today, Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit presence in each one of us will rise up and control us so that we can do your will instead of ours. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, Yeshua, the Messiah, and that he revealed you to so many of us. We thank you in the mighty and matchless name of Yeshua. Amen. So I've been, I've just been uneasy. I've been troubled with just what's going on, you know, and unless you've been living in a deserted island or, or in a cave for the past few years, you know, and I, I believe you'd agree with me that life is certainly not the same as it, as it was years, just a few years ago. I mean, it's just, it's something uh, that we have never seen, at least in the Western world. I mean, I think life is definitely uh, harder and it's getting harder rapidly. Uh, and it certainly appears things are not going to get easier. And so we're going to be, uh, we're gonna need to flex our spiritual and our faith muscles. Uh, we need to get in better spiritual shape. Now, I don't, you know, I don't watch a lot of TV. Uh, I did years ago, but it really the last 20 years, I guess it coincides with when we went to Europe. We went, we're stationed in London in 2000. Um, it, it just, we just, and then when we came back to the States in 2003, uh, I just didn't watch TV as much. Um, but, but I found myself the other day, I guess it would be called, I was channel surfing a little bit and I stopped as I heard a, a very well-known talk show host interviewing a very well-known pastor. And the talk show host said to this pastor, you know, the Bible seems to be outdated. Don't you think it's time that we drag it kicking and screaming into the 21st century? I, oh, it made me very mad. And in other words, I think what they're saying is, don't you think it's time we sort of edit the Bible and change the church to fit the culture? And, I, you know, as I'm listening to this, I'm, I find myself chuckling as well as getting a little bit irritated because the reality is that that has been manifesting for decades. And there are entire what I call now so-called Christian denominations that, you know, 30, 40 years ago would look nothing like some of them believe today and pro- what they are promoting today. So that's why I don't, I don't really believe they're Christian denominations anymore. I don't believe they're Christian. 
And see, when I watch things like that, or I hear things like that, or I witness things <laughs> like that, I kind of want to flip some tables, if you know what I mean, when people talk that way. And what this talk show host suggests is the complete opposite of what I believe the Bible instructs the church's assignment to be. I believe scripture says the overall responsibility of the church is not to conform the Bible to culture, but rather to have open doors to show and welcome the culture in and how it should conform and live to what the scriptures teach us, what the Bible teaches. And that, I believe, is the church's assignment. And it will continue to be a huge challenge for many a Western culture church because so many have strayed from that assignment. It's getting foggier and it's less clear to see. It's like it's so far off in the distance, they don't know what the assignment is anymore. I mean, folks, we do not need to re-envision the church. We do not need to rethink the church. Instead, we need to rediscover the true church. In other words, I think we need and where I'm asking God for a holy disturbance. And I think that's what we're getting to get our attention. I titled this today, A Holy Disturbance. You know, when we talk about the church, and yes, this, this message today, this sermon, this preaching, this teaching, whatever you want to refer to this as, is talking about the church, I guess, as a whole. It's the topic is about the church. And I believe the church is an organization that Christ himself set up. I think Jesus knew what he was doing, and I think he did a pretty good job. I think it's us humans who have messed up the church. When we, when we look, when you dig into scripture and you grasp and understand the primary function of the church, it, what it's supposed to be, we must understand that this is the vehicle that Jesus picked to spread the gospel and change the world through the church. In essence, the church should be in the business of spreading the kingdom of God and changing the culture. We, we that are part of the church should be another, we could be called culture shapers. Now, I'm not ignorant and blind to realize that I'm not saying the church is perfect. Far from it. It's not perfect today. And guess what? It wasn't perfect 2,000 years ago is when it began. Why? Because the church involves people. The church is run by people. The church is attended by people. Now, when looking at the, the first church that we see in the book of Acts, we see they had many of the same challenges and problems the church is engulfed in and facing right now today. Nothing different. But at the very same time, this church that was first began in the book of Acts, this church that turned the world upside down, right? Acts 17, verse 6 sums that up right there. Acts 17, 6 says, these people have turned the world upside down. They are here also because people were upset that the Christians were there because they were turning over their lifestyles, turning everything up, causing issues, right? But see, folks, that's exactly what you and I need, what we need in the Western world. We need a holy disturbance in a very positive way. It seems that wherever the early disciples went, folks, there either was people converting to Christianity or there was a riot. 
But you know what I find? There never was a dull moment. <laughs> as, we, as we read the history, I mean, whoa, hold on. Whoa, it just hit, like if you're in a congregation, if you're attending a church and it's dull, you're not having conversions or you're not having kind of like <laughs> people upset with what you're preaching and teaching and trying to live out. Huh, you should question, what's going on here? What are we doing? I mean, folks, as you read the history of the early church in the book of Acts, it seems like there was nonstop action. I mean, come on, there are healings over here, you know, different miracles over there, restoration over here, over there, people receiving Jesus as their Lord, right? Now, and and I want to make sure you're aware of this. The book of Acts is roughly covering a period of 30 years, a time frame of 30 years. It kind of begins right after the ascension, right? After Jesus is resurrected and the ascension, he ascends back to the Father in heaven up to like the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s. It's roughly 30 years. And what we find here is we see people living out their faith in practical ways, right? And at the heart of the church's success was the spirit of God working through the word of God in the hearts of the people of God. Their world at that time that they lived in was not all that different from yours and mine today. They lived under a godless secular government. Immorality was rampant. Are you aware that, for instance, in cities such as Corinth, you know, Corinth, we have the books of the first and second Corinthians, the Corinth church. Are you aware that prostitutes freely walk the streets? Well, I, I know of a lot of cities today where that goes on in the Western world, right? In America, in Europe, right? Canada, Australia, right? South America, okay? And the religious establishment back in the first church was corrupt. Idolatry and demon worship were openly practiced as well. In fact, everywhere the first century Christians went, They were ridiculed, they were opposed, okay? They were persecuted and even physically assaulted for their beliefs. Hello? (laughs) Yet within 30 years, right? That book of Acts period, the original, those 120 believers and their converts that day on the day of Shavuot, Pentecost, Acts chapter two, right? Right, when that happened, those 120 people, they changed the world during their lifetime. And guess what? They didn't have nice buildings to meet in. They didn't have many of the luxuries many a church has today. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have heat. Folks, they didn't have coffee shops. They didn't have bookstores. Now, what they did have is they had a common language. Greek, Greek was the common language, right? Mainly in that time of the world, there was Greek, Latin, and there was a little Aramaic, which is where the Hebrew language comes from. But it was mainly Greek was spoken, Greek and Latin, but mainly Greek. And although the Romans had conquered Greece, right, a couple centuries prior, the Greek culture in many ways had a dramatic influence on Rome and the Roman culture. Now, the Romans developed this incredible system the roads that hadn't been developed yet. So they're the ones who developed roads. 
So the Roman road system had pulled cultures together as never before. And with Greek as the common language, it's the perfect time for the gospel to be spread around the world. And, and so when I think about today, in our own culture, well, we have instant communication. My gosh, it's right in the palm of our hands. If you have a cell phone, and who doesn't have a cell phone now in the Western world? Gosh, not even in the Western world. Some of the poorest people in the planet have cell phones. We, in other words, we have immediate communication on demand wherever we want it. And so I'm just saying, I see a lot of parallels between the time of the first century church and our time. I mean, as we look at Western cultures today, Western countries today, I'm talking about the countries in Europe, uh, um, North and South America, Canada, Australia. We see cultures that are turned upside down, not for good. We are living in a time, folks, when right is all, all, all is wrong and wrong is right. Scripture talks about this in Isaiah 5, verse 20. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. See, the very foundations of our countries are crumbling beneath our feet because we've lost our way. The, the moral fabric is being ripped apart. Ethics, character, morals, ethics, and character. They're being ripped apart. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned about the fiscal issues going on and the fiscal cliff, but I contend that the moral cliff we are going over is severely more damaging to our cultures. And so... Instead of the church being the one that turn, should be turning the world upside down, far too often it seems that the world is turning the church upside down. Somewhere between the church and the people, the power of the gospel is not being conveyed and transforming the people like it was meant to do. Secular philosophy has infiltrated the church, and a result has been numerous compromises that have been taken in place for decades. There has been a progressive but pronounced slide away from the biblical standards, away from biblical morality. Over the years, the, the slow and steady pecking away at biblical standards has borne the rotten fruit we have called, it's our current culture. And now, 2023, instead of the church being the vehicle that Jesus made to change the culture and turn people towards him, the church is incurring Christians to be followers of the very system that are there to be changing. We are living through and watching observing the minimizing of the Bible, minimizing of the family, minimizing the overall meaning of Scripture throughout culture, in our homes, in our schools, in our government, in our financial systems, in entertainment, and sadly, as well as our churches. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3, many of you have heard this, right? For the time will come when men will not listen to sound doctrine, but they will add for themselves extra teachers according to their desires, being lured by enticing words. Well, that time is here. It's been here. It's been going on for years. And it's gaining more steam during our lifetimes, the last three years. So, okay, all right, enough. Enough of that. So, is there a way for, for us to turn on the light and penetrate and infiltrate culture instead of cursing the darkness? 
Well, I contend there is, yes. Far too often the church is isolating itself when it ought to be infiltrating and influencing without compromise, I might add. We should be leading the church into challenging the paganistic culture throughout the region. Now, I know that some of the believers in the church are very comfortable withdrawing from the world and hiding within the four corners of the church sanctuary. I contend the spirit of, of God is not going to build a bless me only, encourage me only, pastor me only ministry. Uh-uh. No, the Spirit of God is an equipping, sending, and governing church, a people that would invade society with the gospel of the kingdom. And specifically, church leaders need to be more concerned than they have been with the spiritual maturity of the people and the mandate, the assignment to advance and confirm the kingdom of God throughout the sphere of influence where they live and work. In other words, the assignment of the church leaders is to grow and mature the disciples in the church body. Far too often, our culture has abandoned thinking and logic in favor of feelings and emotions. Now, okay, some of you might go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, listen. By all means, emotions are a vital part of our human psyche. But folks, and you, you, you got to be honest about this. Because this is what you've seen and I've seen it and it's going on far too often. When emotions and feelings control every aspect of life and decision-making, morality becomes the victim. Folks, I think many of you are so aware of this. Many a TV show, many of the movies coming out of Hollywood, or I call it Holly Weird, are directly aimed at our emotions to grab a hold of a worldview that says it's okay to do anything. <laughs> it's getting weirder and weirder, right? It's okay to do anything as long as you feel good and don't hurt anybody else. Listen, folks, when flattery turns to compromise, the end is always near. That's what you and I are sensing. If you don't know, that's what we're sensing. We're like, what the heck is going on? Now, some of us might be shocked, but how else do we explain churches across the country accept, accepting and affirming gay marriage as biblical? Or, or accepting and affirming, affirming and encouraging people, especially young people, to change their gender? How do we explain Christians? There's Christians that have supported abortion for 50 years publicly. How else do we explain that Christians have no difference in their divorce rates than those in the world? <sighs> Folks, it's simple. This is not complicated. Christians have ceased, as a whole, have ceased from being cultural shapers and leaders and have become followers of the culture to be popular. Many a church leader is terrified. They'll do anything. I've watched and I know, because I'm the opposite, and I'm telling you, I got ridiculed, but that's why I know I'm doing what God wants, right? Many a church leader is terrified to stand up for truth because they will be falsely accused of bigotry, of intolerance, uh, all types of phobias. They'll be called haters. They'll be called mean. They'll be, they'll be pushed off the stage eventually, and guess what? Ooh, they might lose some of their membership. Oh, gosh, heaven forbid. 
I mean, I chuckle. It's like, don't you know the Bible? Don't you know the scriptures? This happened to most of the prophets, if not all of the prophets in the Old Testament. It happened to the prophet Jesus all the time. He's teaching all the people left one time when he says, you got to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And all of them left except the disciples. All of them. Well, it's funny because Jesus comments on this very thing in Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. That was Matthew 13, verse 33. Now, this is is very interesting because many times the Bible references when it does, talks about yeast, it mentions that yeast, it's focusing on and using yeast as a representative of sin, but not in this case, not when the Lord is using it in this case. In this parable, Jesus tells us that a little bit of yeast, when mixed into the bigger batch, will impact the whole batch. In this parable, yeast is a positive symbol of growth. In other words, a small group, a remnant of Christians, right? A remnant of believers with the kingdom of God assignment will impact the pagan culture and direct the course of the culture. But you got to get involved, right? In other words, let your light shine amongst the darkness. If you're going to just hang around where there's so-called light, well, you're not going to have an impact. You need to go where it's dark. Oh, that makes so many of us uncomfortable. See, because instead of being the leaven that influenced the entire world, we have let the world's leaven shape us, shape the church. You know, many times the word of God says this, that judgment of God starts first in the house of God. So all I'm contending once again is that we are to look at ourselves first. You know, I summarize the scriptures uh, in the Bible and the gospel into something very simple, faith and repentance. Now, of course, there's way other aspects, but I really, to simplify, you, we have to live by faith and we need to repent. So what this is getting at, God says, you better look at yourself first before you meet me and I look at you because my lens is gonna see every defect is gonna see it all. A lot of things you won't wanna look at. So be honest, take a good look in the mirror. Look at yourselves first. Look at your family first. Look at your church first. See how you're doing as culture shapers, or be honest, are you culture followers? Are you compromising the word of God to get along, to be along? If you're not leading, but spending more time following, It's time for a change that starts with the self. Draw the line in the sand and lead. Put God first. Honor God first. Tell everyone around you that what God says, the Bible says this, and therefore that is where the line is drawn and no further. That's why I do it. If people hate you for it, go, well, then you really hate God. If, you, if you're going to get mad at me because I'm following what God says, then so be it. Because come on, people, aren't we supposed to honor God and do his will instead of our will and be popular? Because if it's popular and not following God, then it's sin. It's against God. It's following the enemy of God. I, I try to encourage people, instead of fleeing from conflict, engage the conflict like David did with the giant. 
Stand up for righteousness. Be a person of faith. Be a person of courage. Way too many churches are getting away from biblical preaching and teaching. Many a church has their music and their dance and their drama and their skits and their videos and their fog machines. Right? They don't ever want to ask people for, to, to give financially to support them. They just do it online or do a brief thing about it because it makes people uncomfortable. They'll put boxes everywhere so people don't have to be, you know, it's just, I, 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 I just giggle. I go, wow, we've got a bunch of babies. And you know what else in some churches I've seen? I've seen it. Preaching is seen as something that is outdated. And you know what else that, that's just unbelievable to me? Some of them got rid of the pulpit. They don't want to make a big deal about the pulpit. You know, for me, though, I don't know. I've just always been this way. I like the pulpit. To me, it's symbolic. It's a symbol. And yes, folks, I too, I want to be culturally connected, but I want things to make sense. See, when I would, you know, when people would come into what we had a church called Freedom Destiny, when they, when they would walk into the church, I want them to know that this place called Freedom Destiny Church is about worshiping God. And that involves all forms of worship. I want people to know this is not going to be about the self. This is about the Bible, right? And drawing people to Christ. So I think one of the things that sadly is going on is we're forgetting to honor the place of preaching the word of God. Now, let me read to you what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 21. This is what I read from the Message Bible. Scripture says, The message that points to Christ on the cross seems like sheer silliness to those hell-bent on destruction. But for those on the way of salvation, it makes perfect sense. This is the way God works, and most powerfully, as it turns out. It's written, I'll turn conventional wisdom on its head. I'll expose so-called experts as crackpots. So where can you find someone truly wise, truly educated, truly intelligent in this day and age? Hasn't God exposed it all as pretentious nonsense? Since the world in all its fancy wisdom never had a clue when it came to knowing God, God in his wisdom took delight in using what the world considered dumb, preaching of all things, to bring those who trust him into the way of salvation. In other words, what that just says, what the scriptures say is, the message of the kingdom of God preached is the way God does it primarily. That's the way God primarily wants to reach the pagan world, wants to reach us all. Now, it's not the only way. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. It's not the only way, but it is a key way. It's a main way, and we can't get around it unless you want to be disobedient and rebellious. Jesus shared a parable about this as well in Luke chapter 6. Verses 39 and 40, he says, can a blind man lead a blind man? How will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. You know, during his life and ministry, Jesus introduced his new kingdom order and offered a life beyond that which the people had never seen before that the Jewish leaders had offered. 
the Jewish religious leaders had offered, right? The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, the lawyers, right? That were content to work the rhythms of the well-tried principles that made for a good reputation and a prosperous lifestyle. Well, Jesus comes along and he offers life far beyond that. He goes, I want to give you life and life to the more abundantly. John 10, 10, right? An abundant life where things like you could, you could love enemies, where you could forgive, where you could serve and sacrifice, where you could give financially without hope of any return. <laughs> right? Those kinds of things seem almost like backwards to, to the pagan world. But this life isn't available to those who chose to remain disciples of the religious leaders of the day. If, if, you, if, if somebody decided to continue to do what the Pharisees and the Sadducees said, well, they're going to continue to experience what they experience. And according to Jesus, that was not even close to the life designed by God for, for all of mankind. That's not what God wanted. Jesus is showing us the way to live beyond religious norms because his unequaled access to the Father. Jesus is willing to pass that on to those who follow him as master. That's what you got to do. He's the way. You follow him. He, he, he tells the, the adulterous woman, that's getting going to be stoned. That he, he goes, hey, are your accusers still here? She goes, no. He goes, well, I'm not going to accuse you either. Sin no more and follow me. So that's what we do. We just get up and follow Jesus. Because the disciples' confidence, right, is that they will be like their master. Follow him. And it's at this point, Jesus doesn't tell his disciples all that is involved in learning to live like he lives. But he promises that if they continue to follow him, continue to transform towards him, that they will be better than you were before. And you're going to experience life fuller than you ever have before. And he never said it was easy. Jesus never said this is going to be easy. He did say, though, when the fullness of time arrived, Jesus revealed that he alone could qualify for the blessings of God that he wanted to give to his sons and daughters. Jesus became the righteous one who sacrificed his own life for us, the disobedient ones. Jesus was raised to new life and gave his life to his disciples. The gospels show how Jesus taught those first disciples how this new life came about and how it works. Those who follow Jesus become like him. You and I, we have these first disciples' testimony, and, and now we can embrace this life too. We, you and I, just like those disciples, are tempted to mix the teaching of the religious perspective with that of Jesus, right? We still lean towards trying to get things by giving. You know, I'll give my time, but I expect something in return. I'll give my finances, but I expect something in return. I'll do this for you, but it's like tit for tat. We, 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 and by doing that, we depend on our own sacrifices to gain some kind of leverage with God. And when it doesn't turn out that way and something bad happens, we go, where are you, God? I thought you thought you were supposed to protect me from all of this stuff. And then what goes on is we have to settle for some kind of behavioral modification and circumstantial happiness as we strive for the good life. Until we see what Jesus saw in his relationship with the Father, we will look at such statements as love your enemies as another requirement to gain God's blessings. And we'll try to do it, and then we'll find creative excuses for not doing it. And it's the best you and I can expect when following the old master. We follow the law that way. 
And don't misunderstand me right here with what you're hearing. We are expected to obey the law of God. But only if we're living from the same perspective of Jesus Christ, who not only loved his friends, but also died for his enemies. <laughs> Jesus didn't come to give us a higher law so we could try harder. He came to give us a new life that we could live higher. I, I mean, gosh, I sure hope I've taught and preached through the years about honoring God and giving first fruits to God. And we do that because God gave first. And since he gave first, we are to give faithfully regardless of circumstances and situations and what we'll get in return. We don't give to God so we can then claim, oh, you need to give me something now, God, because I gave to you. No, folks, you've totally twisted it. God gave first. He already gave. <laughs> he already gave. We give regularly and sacrificially because God gave first. And see, this kind of first fruit understanding is directly tied into getting involved and make a commitment to a church body. You know, I believe the Lord is just once again saying for those who have ears to hear that the local church needs to wake up because it's time to thrive. Right? The fields are ripe for harvest. Revelation 3.2 says, wake up strengthen what remains and is about to die. See, if we trust God, he will use little churches to do big things. And I'm well aware that we're, we're, churches involve humans so they can get off track, for sure. They can become mired in religious tradition or denominational programs. They can become ineffective because of sin in the camp right? Sin within the leadership. They can lose their edge because of a loss of intimacy with Jesus Christ. They can be derailed by, you know, what I'll call charismatic excesses. And guess what? Church can be even boring. Oh gosh, heaven forbid, right? Let me say something about that right here. You know, when I met someone this has happened multiple times. When I meet someone that is passionate about Jesus, but they don't faithfully be affiliated to a church body, I, I scratch my head. You're telling me you love Jesus, but you'll say you won't attend a church because it's not as exciting as other aspects of your life or because there's people there that sin or because whatever, whatever reason, fill in the blank. Or they could just say, because it's boring. <laughs> so I just, do you love Jesus? Really? Would you die for Jesus? And you'd say, yeah, yeah, of course I would. Well, then let me make sure I understand what you just agreed to. You are willing to die for Jesus, but not willing to be bored for Jesus. Folks, this is what I'm getting at. Corporate worship, corporate gathering is vital. That's why the scripture says, don't forgo meeting weekly. I want to encourage you, listen, if this is irritating you a bit or if this is talking about your situation, please don't give up on the local church. I'm telling you, this can be our finest hour. You know, more than 100 years ago, a very well-known British preacher named Charles Spurgeon very well-known, 
reminded his generation then that God does not have a plan B for reaching the world. He said, some Christians try to go to heaven alone in solitude. But he further said, but believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. Those who belong to Christ are called sheep in this respect because sheep love to get together. Sheep go in flocks. So do God's people. So I want to encourage you to embrace your local flock. Forgive if somebody's hurting you. Get back in there. Get back up. Get involved. I want to encourage you to pray for your shepherd, your under-shepherd. Love those people there and find out what your spiritual gifts are and use them. You know, use your spiritual gifts, you know, because they're vital to help bring the lost into the community of faith where they can find love and acceptance by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You are a vital aspect of the kingdom of God because you have the gifts. Some of God's gifts are in you. I hope they're not sitting dormant. And I hope this encouraged you today. God bless you all. Until the next time. Thank you for joining Dr. Candice for today's podcast. For more resources and weekly prophetic words direct in your email box, go to our website at www.candicesmithyman.com, Facebook at Candice Smithyman, or Instagram at Candice Smithyman. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your review helps the show reach more people and spread the gospel. 